0: So welcome to this episode of uh, What That Means and Cybersecurity Inside. I'm really excited about the topic today. It's non-fungible tokens or NFTs. And those are being thrown around a lot, including by Mark Zuckerberg and his description of the metaverse that he released fairly recently. So we've got Mick Bowman from Intel Labs. He's a senior principal engineer, and he runs the Trustworthiness and Distributed Systems Lab. You say it
1: trustworthy distributed systems
0: trustworthy distributed systems in intel labs mick and i go way back and in fact we have another what that means audio episode of what that means blockchain featuring mick so we brought him back in to talk about non-fungible tokens how are you mick
1: not too bad it's snowing today which is kind of interesting oh
0: that's cool Um, Okay, so the first thing we're going to do is the same as you did on the blockchain. And could you just define non-fungible token in a couple of minutes?
1: So a non-fungible token technically is pretty boring. It's just basically a unique identifier that can be assigned to some digital asset like an image that way. The analogy that I've used that, that seems to make sense for people is it's like the title for your car. The title conveys a sense of ownership of the vehicle but the vehicle is still something that's completely separate so the non-fungible token is really a tradable representation um, for digital assets like pictures and videos and pretty much whatever you want it to be these days
0: and it only works on like cryptocurrency right you can't buy a non-fungible token with fiat currency can you
1: Um, No, the existing markets for non-fungible tokens are all driven by cryptocurrencies or or some internal currency that can be purchased using kind of fiat currencies. So whether it is a standalone currency that could be used to purchase other goods or whether it's sort of unique within a particular domain depends on the application in the marketplace.
0: This is really a way to own a digital thing. A digital asset so and it's it's a way to have it be unique whereas i guess with cryptocurrency you know one bitcoin or one ethereum one whatever it is you want to talk about is always going to be equal to another one of those they're fungible mm-hmm. um, whereas if, if you're talking about a non-fungible token this is some kind of thing that is unique and you know while you can trade it or sell it it is its own specific thing
1: um be careful about the unique. It's it can't be subdivided in any way, right? It, you know, it can't be separated out and broken out into things. So you know, we think of of a Bitcoin as something we can continue to subdivide almost down infinitesimally small. Um, but non-fungible tokens usually refer to something that cannot be subdivided. You know, again, kind of going back to the car, you can't break the car into multiple pieces and sell them as a car. You might be able to sell them as parts, but you can't really sell them as a car. And so the non-fungible token usually has a reference to something like a digital image, which is not really subdividable. I, let me put some caveats on that, that the image may not be subdividable, but ownership of the token may be subdividable.
0: Oh, okay. That kind of makes sense.
1: So we're going to have partial ownership, but but the asset itself, the assets that's referenced by the NFT is is not subdividable.
0: That makes sense to me because, you know, multiple people could go in on, say, like a work of art together and mm-hmm. own portions of it, but you can't cut up the work of art. And yeah. You know, okay. So that makes sense. so
1: And so it's just a non-subdividable asset. There may be multiple instances of it, right? So maybe the most famous and visible of the NFT marketplaces is Topshop, where you have amounts to baseball cards well they're basketball cards but baseball cards for in video and so you take these nba video clips Mm -hmm. and you own them when they mint these you know virtual baseball cards using the nfts they may mint 500 of a particular clip or they may mint 5000 of another clip and so there may be 5000 of the same thing but you, you generally don't subdivide them.
0: Okay, so that brings me to kind of, th- this is the part that then I struggle with. Why? Because when you're talking about like a painting, <laughs> let's just say, obviously the, an original is different than a print, even to the point of if you own the original, you could do the unthinkable and destroy mm-hmm. it, and the original doesn't exist anymore. There may be lots of prints of it, but you know there is something about the, owner of that original whereas when we're talking about digital assets a lot of the time like you're saying clips of MBA or even multiple things even if you destroyed the original there would still be identical copies around so so what's the point there
1: this notion of digital scarcity of of some of these assets is is kind of a it's a tricky thing to imagine and Again, just kind of using some analogies, right? The, there's a really famous baseball card, which is the Onus Wagner card that I think sold five or six years ago for 2 or $3 million. Um, it is a, well, I think there's, it's not one of a kind. I think there's like five or six of them in the world or whatever it is that are left right now. But it's, just, it's a very unique physical thing. And either it exists or it doesn't exist. With digital assets, like you said, it's kind of a little tough because we can purchase the image and take ownership of that image, but what prevents somebody from continuing to, whoever sold the image, from continuing to have the image. There are some interesting things that go along with with the problems for that, but really the core of the NFT and this notion of collectibles and NFTs, and and let's come back to the binding between the NFT and the image and the digital scarcity in a couple of minutes, But, but really what you're purchasing with the NFT is purchasing provenance. It's kind of like, you know, it's like when you buy an antique. You can buy an old dresser and it's kind of an old dresser. But if that old dresser once sat in um, George Washington's mansion, then it's a very different thing, right? And you can. Come up with other dressers that might be the same, but the fact that it came from George Washington, the mansion is what really adds value and creates value.
0: This is why Jack Dorsey's first tweet goes. That's why own. that's yeah. exactly
1: <laughs> it. It's not that the tweet itself is that interesting. Right. It's that Jack Dorsey created the NFT for it. Mm-hmm. And so anybody can go out and make a copy of the tweet who cares, right? You know, we can all go back and take a look at it, but only one person can own Jack Dorsey's, NFT that he created for it. And so it kind of goes back in some sense to that notion. It's collectibles. It's you know, what makes the Onus Wagner baseball card worth $2 million? It's a piece of cardboard, mm-hmm. right? What makes it valuable is that people believe it has value. And it's no different than the cryptocurrencies. I mean, we talked you know, in our conversation last time about blockchain and cryptocurrencies. What makes a Bitcoin valuable? Is that the community believes it has value and acts that way, and the same is true. The actual tweet that Jack Dorsey, you know, his first tweet and the text in it and the picture of it, whatever, anybody can get that. What makes it valuable is somebody believes that something that Jack Dorsey created as an NFT mm-hmm. has value, and and that's what drives the marketplace.
0: Well, some of these things do have. I would argue some have. I don't know, maybe intrinsic value is not the right Intrinsic
1: word. is a little, yeah. yeah let's not but, use that but. word. But
0: some things I think have value, like let's be, uh, let's take it in a video game or something. And somebody mm-hmm. creates, you know, a special avatar or a special superpower outfit, something like that. That took, let's say they coded it and, and it took time and effort and skill and talent. And then they make that an NFT. Now, if I purchase it, I really do have something. That you're saying maybe it's not subdividable. I would, I might argue it's unique. Maybe it could be recreated, Mm. but at this point, it's got something that's going to get me to the next level of the game. That's clearly valuable to anybody you know who's playing the game.
1: Yeah, there's there are a number of those things, and and honestly, there's some cool things that are happening with the gaming companies. There have been marketplaces for a long time for sort of in-world or in-game assets. Um, You know, you could buy gold for World of Warcraft on an open market, and somehow or another it got moved into your account, and so you could level up much faster. You could buy sort of pre-leveled characters Mm -hmm. uh, for it as well. So some of this marketplace has been in existence for a long time, and it didn't require NFTs. What the NFT for these does is it allows the marketplace to be open. In some cases, I mean, I can do speculation, even if I never play World of Warcraft, Mm-hmm. I can treat the marketplace for Warcraft items as a place where I can do speculation or investment or you know other kind of market that, dynamics that way. So so we had these marketplaces for useful digital assets before. Mm-hmm. The NFT just really opens it up and and really creates new opportunities for making these things happen. So there is some something to be said for that. The the other one that I think is really interesting is some of the musicians trying to come up with new ways to monetize their music Mm -hmm. that allows them to get much more direct revenue from their clientele so it's not just about buying the song which you know as you would point out has some notion of intrinsic value because i like listening to the music but because it's an nft and the nft has a smart contract with it we can do more things than just buying the song to play it you know it can give us credits that we can use for accessing or purchasing better tickets it can give us you know some sense of kind of community participation in the fan club for it so you know the intrinsic part of this thing with games mm-hmm. yes music yes maybe art
0: mm-hmm.
1: um although what makes a uh, original monet worth 50 million dollars is it because the painting itself is worth 50 million dollars maybe for some people but it's the ownership of a Monet that's really what it's about.
0: Well, it seems to me the more we move into like this vision of metaverse, where you really mm-hmm. have an alter—I'll just call it an alternate reality. You're you have an online world now, where you're buying parts and renting parts, like even plots of land or office space or whatever it mm-hmm. is, buying your way into certain rooms or locations. That if you're not in that room or location, you don't have as much access to all different kinds of information, let's yeah. just say. Then I can start to see where, well, this is, it's like replicating the real world.
1: So, it, it, again, like I said, marketplaces for digital goods within a particular domain mm-hmm. is something that's existed. I mean, go back, it, it, if you want a really good example of it, go back to Second Life, mm-hmm. you know, from 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an entire marketplace where creators of artifacts could sell clothing and avatar shapes and really fun little items whatever it was that they wanted to um you could sell buy and sell land that way Mm -hmm. and there was a marketplace in world and you had these kind of linden dollars which you know were they a cryptocurrency Eh, maybe you know whatever um let's not split hairs about definitions (laughs) on that what's different about nfts is not our ability to fund or create marketplaces in a single game what's unique about the nft is is that it moves those marketplaces outside the game Hmm. and now we can it's like i said we can we can talk about being a creator, I'm using the Second Life example, which I'm sorry, it's old, but it's <laughs> but it's kind of cool. You know, there's a decentral land, which is kind of being funded by NFTs today, which is very similar to it. But the goods in the marketplaces can be sold by individuals and potentially projected into multiple applications or multiple games. Mm. Right. So can you purchase a unique outfit? And have that unique outfit be something that you could use in Second Life and Warcraft and and something else. And and that really kind of points out one of the cool problems that needs to be dealt with and is, is being talked about today for NFTs is how do you externalize these assets outside of these fixed domains? So can I buy that really cool avatar and use it in each one of these domains that I have? So what's unique about NFTs is, like I said, it's the externalization or the opening of the marketplace outside of just one little domain hmm. um, that way. And and that allows all these economics to come into play.
0: I was just going to ask you about that. Who Who is kind of making money off of the creation and sale and transfer of NFTs?
1: Oh, boy. Okay. So, so there are a number of ways to answer that, right? <laughs> so... Um, Dapper Labs is, is doing business on Top Shot. So anytime there's a sale made, you know they're taking essentially a tax or a transaction fee. Anytime one of the these things get, get exchanged, they make money when they mint some new clip. Mm-hmm. The NBA takes their licensing fee off it as well. So in some ways, this is a new opportunity or a new pipeline for the NBA to monetize right. their brand. And, and then there's this sort of this other part of it, which is, as we saw with cryptocurrencies, uh, it went through this transition from sort of socially interesting thing to financially driven thing. And people look at the skyrocketing prices on some of these NFTs and, and they're not in it to own the NFTs, they're in it to own the margin from one to the next. So. It's an economy, right? With all of the complexities that go on with the economy, you have some sort of core producers of, of goods. And those core producers are, are finding new ways to monetize. Um, you have consumers of those goods who, in some cases, are getting, you know, as you pointed out, intrinsic value from them. And then you have the ones who are really the market makers, the ones who are taking advantage. They don't really care as much about the particular details of what's being traded as long as they can predict you know, the value exchange of what's being traded and, and make money off of it. It really is an economy mm-hmm. um, that way. And, and that's kind of the cool part about it. We've talked for years about how we would build a data economy and one has emerged. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has some very, very rich and interesting dynamics that go with them.
0: So, is it kind of the natural evolution of cryptocurrency, where at that point you're using this digital currency to trade physical assets, and now we're sort of saying, well, actually, you can wholly exist. Well, no, because you're saying you're going to take it external again. <laughs> I'm thinking it's bringing us more into the digital, and you're saying, well, it's actually extending it. Be, it's extending the digital into the non digital realm.
1: Um, th- this is. That's actually a very interesting future potential for the NFTs, right? So the vast majority of things that are being traded as NFTs today right now are, are digital. It's music, videos, images, kind of random rare events, mm-hmm. and things like that. But for the most part, it's it's these digital media um, is, is almost exclusively what's driving it, kind of as the core data type. But as you pointed out, once we have the NFTs, you know that the NFT is a really nice, it's it's a abstract representation that defines a tradable interface, you know, here's something that you can do. Mm. What it's bound to, who cares, right? It can be bound to anything.
0: Pork bellies
1: uh, pork bellies. Whatever. i just saying. I mean, there's um, you know
0: lots of trading I, done on pork bellies that may not result in delivery of a pork belly. It's just a way to speculate. So. It's,
1: it is a. That's exactly yeah. right. It's a marketplace for kind of connecting value and value chains. Right. And once you have this NFT, what you can trade is almost universal. You know, it it depends a lot on how much you trust the owner of the NFT to give you the corresponding or to manage the corresponding asset, right? So there are pros and cons to this. There are a number of situations where we've talked about somebody purchased a digital image from somebody else, and that person who created it just had the image up on their website. And as soon as they sold the NFT, they took Mm -hmm. the image down. And so now I own an NFT, and the image that it corresponds to doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, this is... Not hard to do. So so there needs to be some transactional relationship between purchasing the asset and purchasing the good or having access to the good that corresponds to the NFT.
0: Well, I feel like we should just back up just a little bit. I just want to make sure it's clear what NFT is in the sense of it's it's cryptography, right? Associated with a
1: thing it's actually not really i mean we tend to back them by Mm -hmm. cryptographic systems right but really an nft is nothing more than a unique identifier
0: Mm.
1: think of it as a serial number Mm. right again back to the um to the title for your car Mm -hmm. analogy there are two interesting things right there's the identifier for the title and then there's the vin number for the car right right and so the identifier for the title there's there's something on there which sort of makes this paper interesting right there may be a seal of a uh, validity or a notarization of it or whatever it is or a signature on it and there's a government record that keeps that and tracks ownership of it so if i ever lose my title i can go back to the to the government and ask for another copy of it that way and then that title is bound to the actual vehicle by the VIN number that's in the title mm-hmm. for it. And NFTs are very similar to that, that the NFT itself just is, it's its like the piece of paper. It's really, frankly, technically it's boring, right? It's, can I generate a unique serial number? And the cryptographic systems allow me to do that, that we have. And then I need to have whatever the VIN number is. It may be a URL for an image, or it may be an identity of an image that's being stored in IPFS, or in the case of closed systems like Topshot and and Decentraland and others, it may have a meaningful reference to something that that's part of a game or part of a, another digital system.
0: Wait, I have a quick interrupting question. So, yep. uh, I guess I imagined in my own mind that if you actually owned a digital thing, it would like be on your hard drive or something. So, even if you were offline, you know, you nope. can listen to that song, you can see that piece of art. You're now telling me not necessarily.
1: That is exactly it. Every one of the NFTs that you manage Mm -hmm. is going to have a different way of binding the tradable token Mm -hmm. to whatever the asset is on the backside. Some of them like Mm TopShot and Decentraland, the binding is very tight.
0: And you can only see it if you're in that platform. And you can
1: only see that when you're on that platform. Mm -hmm. And so they can kind of control both the token and the asset that it corresponds to, and they can guarantee and and they make availability for it. Mm But for a lot of these open markets, that's not necessarily the case, that there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to get access to the asset once you've purchased the the token, uh, once you purchase in the NFT for it. You know, one of the things is if you bought that image, make a copy of it real quickly, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, unless you know where it's stored and how it's being stored, it could definitely go away.
0: Hmm, that's very interesting. And that kind of brings new light on what you were saying, if you could take whatever the digital asset is and use it in different environments, crossing Mm -hmm. over among metaverses or other kinds of uh, platforms.
1: Yep, that interoperability. So we trade NFTs and we have a well-defined notion of ownership of an NFT. It basically, some blockchain has a record that says this serial number maps to this person and, and they're the owner.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's, I mean, that's the core technology and it really is not, okay, it's a little more complicated than that, but not much more complicated than that. But how we go back and look at the connection between those two, you know, the VIN number, how we look at the connection between those two things um, and how we manage it gives us a sense of ownership. What does ownership of the NFT mean for the rights that I have to the asset that corresponds to it? Dapper Labs has created this token licensing agreement, which sounds very interesting, but honestly, all it basically does is says that, I mean, the core of their licensing agreement is if you own the NFT, then you have the right to resell the asset that goes along with that NFT. Well, surprise, surprise, that just basically means that my NFT is tradable. Mm -hmm. Okay. I kind of get that. But what are the rights on that asset that go along with ownership of the NFT? Right? So when Jack Dorsey sold his tweet, Somebody purchased that. What do they get to do with the tweet that they now own? In some cases, there are real licensing agreements that go with it, right? Especially in the closed systems, right? So Mm -hmm. um, if I buy the NFT for a chunk of land, a decentral land, then I have the right in the game to go do some operations on that land, on that space. Or if I buy an avatar, I have some rights to do that. But if I buy an image, what rights do I have to do that? Do I now have the rights to take the image and sell it to some advertising agency so that they can use it? Mm-hmm. Do I have the rights to sublicense and collect fees or royalties on that? Have I purchased the copyright for it? I don't know. Right? And, and every one of those is going to have some different dependencies for it.
0: It sounds like it's different too. I, I mean, that in some cases, artists can retain the copyright. Uh, whereas you own mm-hmm. it, so or Where you then,
1: own the NFT. You Own the
0: NFT. You don't own the. But actual you don't
1: necessarily own the of, asset,
0: right? Mm-hmm. And and then that you could even, or or that an artist could potentially make revenue as every time you trade or show or make available the asset. Mm-hmm. So you know the asset's existing independent of your ownership of it.
1: Yeah, and that's it. It's really. It, Okay, this is both the power and the weakness, right? Which is, the weakness is, uh, there's an awful lot that we don't know about what ownership of the NFT means. And frankly, I'm sure the lawyers are just, you know, getting really hot and heavy looking forward to all of the lawsuits that are going to come about about appropriate use for these things. But how we how we resolve these ownership rights and what we choose to do with it And redefining ownership as some royalty or some licensing makes it possible for some really new kinds of business models.
0: I've been speaking with Mick Bowman. He's a senior principal engineer at Intel Labs and runs the Trustworthiness Distributed Systems Lab. We've just scratched the surface on NFTs, or non-fungible tokens. In part two of our discussion, Mick and I are going to explore how NFTs can and are moving beyond artwork and collectibles and into data sharing. And we dig deeper into what ownership means in the world of NFTs. Join us for part two of What That Means, Non-Fungible Tokens, next week. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode of Cybersecurity Inside. Follow at Tom M. Garrison and Camille at Morehart on Twitter to continue the conversation.
1: The views and opinions expressed are those of the guests and author and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Intel Corporation.